0: Who believed Phil earlier when he said that this was added to the Bible in, what was it, 1968? Who believed? Phil does. Well, that's good to see that the rest of you don't, that is. Uh, it shows that you're not that likely to fall for some scam or, uh, or con, um, now, there's all sorts of cons and scams around, aren't there? And, and I hope that you know that you shouldn't respond to emails from wealthy Nigerians trying to get their money out of the country. Uh, that's sort of a fairly obvious one and um, and something to keep uh, steer clear of. But could you be taken in by people who talk about knowing and loving God, people who teach things and refer to things that Jesus taught and even quoted from the Bible, but... Who are actually false teachers? Would you be able to detect whether what they're saying is right or not? But and then would it even matter? Is is that really something to be concerned about? So long as you know you're being religious, does it, does it really matter what you believe deep down? You know, so long as you're doing the right sort of thing shouldn't, after all, we religious people all just get along, you know, rather than trying to work out who's saying the right thing and who's not? See, so do you know whether you're going to be scammed religiously or not? Do you, how are you going to know whether you're being scammed here today? Well, if we believe that the Bible is God's word to us, then one important test is to make sure that what you're being told actually comes from the Bible not just being using the Bible as an example or as an illustration, but actually based on what the Bible says. So please have your Bible open as I speak. Do check what I'm saying against what uh, it says there. Have Jude open in front of you, uh, because it's actually a little older than 1968, uh, and uh, has been well tested and attributed uh, to uh, be a word worth listening to. So as we listen to this letter, let's pray, because the most important thing is to actually ask God to help us to understand the truth and hear what he is saying to us. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have shown your truth to the world, that you've shown it through sending your son, Jesus, to us, to teach us and guide us, and that you have recorded his teachings and the words of his followers in the Bible And so we pray that as we look at this letter from Jude today, uh, that you would help us to hear what you are saying to us, and that by your Holy Spirit, that you would help us to follow you. Amen. Well, Jude begins by introducing himself. Uh, I understand that the song was actually going to be, Hey, Jules. Uh, It was actually about uh, John Lennon's son, Julian. Uh, but they thought that um, Jude sounded better for some reason. I mean, anyway, um, Jude also is a, a form of another name. Uh, it's actually the, often translated in the New Testament as uh, as Judas or Judah. Same sort of, same name. It's a bit like you know Bob and Richard and those sorts of things. No, it's wrong. Isn't it Richard and Dick and yeah Robert and yeah you know. And so, as Jude introduces himself as Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, we're able to work out that the most likely Jude, or Judas, which is being spoken of here, is actually the one which is included in Matthew 15, along with James, as one of the brothers of Jesus. Now raises the question, why doesn't he just tell us that he's Jesus' brother then? That would would really convince us, wouldn't it? And that's probably why he doesn't do it. Because he recognises that Jesus is just so much greater than he is. That like the rest of us, he is just a servant of Jesus. Being Jesus' brother didn't give him any special status. In fact, It was Jesus' brothers who were some of the slowest to actually believe in who Jesus actually was. And so he leaves that part aside, as does his brother um, James when he writes his letter. uh, And uh, following his bigger brother's uh, example, not his biggest brother, which is Jesus, but uh, uh, James' example, he just introduces himself as a servant of Jesus Christ. And then he continues with his letter, uh, addressing it, and and we don't know exactly who it is he's writing to, but they're clearly Christians from the way he speaks to them in verse 1. You see, they are those who have been called, called by God to know the salvation of Jesus. They're the ones who have been loved by God the Father as God forgave them and accepted them into his family. They are the ones who are kept by Jesus Christ, secure now, While they wait for his return, when their forgiveness will be made clear. These are Christian people. And so in verse 3, Jude can talk about the salvation that he shares with them, the salvation that comes through their faith in Jesus. Now, this shared salvation that they have is, is really what he'd like to talk about. That's the that's, that's stuff, that, that's the meat that's really good to, uh, to, to talk about and say how great it is that we share in this salvation in Jesus. But there is something so much more important that he has to tell them. He feels uh, that he has to write and urge them to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. See, this is the faith that they have—the message of the gospel of Jesus that brings salvation. This faith has been entrusted to the saints. Now, it's quite a, a relief if you think of the saints as some um, group of super Christians that uh, you know—they're the great ones of the church, those who, whose faith is stronger than anybody else's—and. They are the ones. They're the great ones who are responsible then. They've been entrusted with the gospel and to make sure that it keeps uh, being passed on. That could be quite a relief and a let off for the rest of us, couldn't it? But unfortunately, that is not the way the Bible ever talks about the saints. See, everyone who believes in Jesus is a saint. We've all been made holy because that's what... Being a saint means to have been made holy. We've all been made holy by Jesus. So we are all saints. And so the gospel has been entrusted to all of us. You have been entrusted with the gospel. You have been entrusted with the gospel. And therefore we all need to contend for the faith. It's been entrusted to us once for all time. We mustn't let God's, God's message be distorted or watered down or changed. We need to defend the gospel and protect it. We need to fight for it. We need to keep it true to its original source so that other people can also hear the true message of salvation. That is the, that is the message that Jude has here. This is what he wants to write that we are to contend for the faith. And it isn't just some academic call to study. Make sure you read and study the Bible well so that you know the truth and you've got all of the I's dotted and the T's crossed that you you know it all back to front. No, it's a very practical call to action because Jude goes on to say in verse 4, certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. The need to contend is here and now. False teachers are already among them and they need to be on their guard. And if false teachers were already there in Jude's day, Then they are certainly all around us today, and so, like Jude's original readers, we need to be on our guard. We need to be ready to contend for the gospel. So, what are false teachers like? How are we going to tell who they are? They don't come with a a, you know a label blazoned across their foreheads, you know, false teacher. It's not their name tag. Bit unfortunate, really, it would make the job much easier. But Jude gives us here four characteristics in this verse 4 that, although he's speaking about a particular group of people, they are actually very typical of most false teaching. You see, what are they like? Well, false teaching, he says, it has secretly slipped in among them. False teaching slips its way in. False teaching is godless and promotes immorality. They are godless men... And you're preaching a license for immorality. And false teaching denies the place of Jesus. And false teaching will be condemned. Now it seems rather obvious, doesn't it, when you think about it, that the, the, the first characteristic of false teaching is that it slips in secretly. And, and that is what makes it so dangerous that it, becomes, it comes in slowly and gradually and in a way that you don't even notice. You know, If someone you didn't know stood up here and said, t- said to you that they've got this new, much easier way of getting to heaven, that they can guarantee that you'll be with God forever and they'll share it with you privately afterwards if you give them a $1,000, then I'm pretty sure you would be able to say, get out. You'd stop listening to anything else they had to say. We'd never ask them back into the church again. And we'd be telling other people not to have anything to do with them. Now, false teaching comes in much more subtly. And that's the most dangerous part. Because false teachers are people from within the church. They start off as people that you know and trust. People that you have confidence in. We see it here in in verse 12 in Jude's day. The false teachers, he says, they're at your love feasts, your your church dinners, eating with you without the slightest qualm. They're in amongst us. They come from within. And they don't start out making great claims of grandeur. They just quietly suggest different things. Have you considered, could we read it this way? What about And it starts off sounding all quite reasonable and sound. They'll use the language that we use. They'll quote the Bible. They'll talk about Jesus. And on the surface, it usually is very hard to detect a false teacher. So we need to be on our guard. We need to be looking out. We need to be listening carefully to what they say, because if we do that then we'll find that they actually display the second characteristic of false teaching. That is, that they encourage us to follow our ungodly desires and natural instincts. The false teachers Jude writes about in verse 4, were changing the grace of our God into a license for immorality. It might have gone something like the argument that Paul argues against in Romans 6 and 7, where he's, he, he's talking about those who say that, We've been forgiven by God's grace. Isn't that a great thing? And since we've been forgiven, God will not hold any of our sins against us. And so we can go on sinning as much as we like. It doesn't matter what we do here and now. Enjoy what you want in life. Because in the end, God will forgive you for it anyway. You don't need to try to live a godly life. God will forgive. It sounds attractive, doesn't it? And that's the point. False teaching works its way in because it appeals to our sinful nature, our natural desires. It's attractive and lets us do what we want. Now, not all false teaching is as blatant as uh, this seems to have been in in appealing to our ungodly desires. Verse 17 to 19, um, Jude gives a more general view of teaching as he speaks, uh, um, quoting uh, probably the words or certainly the ideas that Peter puts together in 2 Peter chapter 2. Where he says, dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the men who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. See, our our ungodly desires, our natural instincts can take many forms, not just immorality. And so false teaching can appeal to our greed. God wants you to be successful. He wants to bless you. And so if you just fill in the blank, God will give you whatever you want. It's appealing to our greed and our desire for what we want. Or false teaching might appeal to to our pride, that wants to say to us, you can do something that will help you be saved. And so if you just do these religious duties, if you just say these prayers, if you just fill in the blank, then you can be sure that you will be saved. And don't we feel better about ourselves because of it? Because it appeals to our natural instincts. Or maybe it appeals to your desire to be greater or more special than other people. You know, If you can speak in tongues, if you learn to pray in this way, if you read this book, if you fill in the blank, then you'll have a special place in heaven. You will know the secrets of God. You'll be part of the special people. Or maybe it goes the other way and appeals to our desire to not, be stand, not stand out and, and just to fit in with everybody else in the world around about us. You know, there's lots of good religious people in the world. So long as we just believe in a God, then, then they have things to teach us. So it doesn't matter what they say. We, we should listen to everybody and, and invite anybody to come and, and tell us what they know about God. All forms of false teaching which appeal to our own natural and sinful desires, rather than presenting the truth of Christ. And that is why they are so dangerous, because at first it seems like it doesn't really matter that much. What's the harm in people giving in temptation? God will save us even though we sin. And what does it matter why someone does a whole lot of religious things? Isn't it, isn't it just good that they are doing good works? And maybe there are things that we can learn from other religions. Shouldn't we be open to other ways of knowing God? But Jude very astutely shows us that the real danger of all false teaching lies in its third characteristic that all false teaching ultimately denies the place of Jesus. In verse 4, he says of these, these false teachers that they deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Now, this could have been a blatant denial of Jesus, saying, no, he is not the Lord and Christ. But I reckon it was a far more subtle way And there are other ways in which we can deny that Jesus is the Christ and Sovereign Lord. And so for these people in Jude's day, when they say that we can live now however we please, they are denying Jesus' role as the one who teaches us the right way to live. They might say that Jesus is the Christ who died to save us, and that's all true. But the rest of what they're saying is, it shows that he is no longer the Lord who we follow and obey. And if Jesus isn't our Lord, if he isn't your God to whom you owe your very life, then how can he be the one who saves you? The two have to go together. And and there's the problem because as soon as we change the part, to, as soon as we change any part of God's gospel no matter how insignificant it might seem, then we undo completely everything that God has done for us. And so if we follow those who tell us that Jesus will give us riches and all we want here and now, then we deny that Jesus is the Christ who suffered and died, who was rejected and and, and said that we would face the same thing. We deny that God's salvation for us is in heaven, not here on earth. If we follow those who say, do these good works so that you can be saved, then we deny that Jesus is the one who has done all that is needed for our salvation. There is nothing that we can add. There is no work that we can do. If you follow the teaching that there are special Christians, then we deny that Jesus is the Lord of all and has shown us the way to salvation equally, that we're all able to come to God and receive every blessing in Christ. Or if we follow those who say that all faiths can teach us about God, then we deny that Jesus is the only Saviour. There is no other way to be saved. And so false teaching denies the very place of Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And if we deny Jesus, then our very salvation is at risk. It is that serious. Your eternal salvation is at risk if we follow after false teaching. The vast majority of this letter is taken up with Jude's warning about the fourth characteristics of, of characteristic of false teaching. It will be condemned. Over and over again, he piles up cases of God judging those who reject his ways. Don't get caught up in that false teaching, the other false teaching that says that there is no judgment. That God says, but that's all. That is false. God is the judge, and He will also condemn. And being one of His people doesn't make us immune. Jude begins his case for God's judgment in verse 5 with God's salvation of His people out of Egypt. Even though God delivered all of his people from Egypt, the ones who didn't believe that God would give them the promised land, everyone that is except Joshua and Caleb, they all died in the desert and never reached what God had promised. God destroyed those who did not believe. Jews goes on with other examples from the Bible and, and from Jewish tradition and even from nature to show that these men will be judged. It's one of the things that's a bit strange about Jude's letter is his use of, of three examples in this section um, from traditional Jewish writings, uh, writings which even the Jews at that time didn't consider to actually be part of their Bible, There's the judgment of the angels who who abandoned heaven in verse 6 or the archangel Michael disputing with the devil in verse 8 and then the quote in verse 14 from Enoch. It's certainly a bit odd that in a letter which is so concerned about the truth of the gospel that Jude uses these examples which aren't from the Bible. But maybe these were writings that the false teachers were using to make their case. And so by quoting these back at them, Jude is showing that even what they use condemns them. Maybe they're things that Jude's readers were very familiar with and would understand, even though they wouldn't necessarily see them as authoritative. A a, a bit like quoting from the Pilgrim's Progress, which is a a Christian allegory of the 1600s, if uh, you are familiar with that. Uh, or, Or using the study notes in your Bible to help make a point. Not the Bible, remember that, They're they're not the Bible, but they can be helpful for us in understanding it. Whatever Jude's reasons for including these things, his message is clear through this section. God judges. God judges those who reject his ways like those who led out, were led out of Egypt, or like the angels who rejected God's position for them in heaven, or Sodom and Gomorrah who rejected God's way of living. We see that these people don't understand spiritual things. They, they, keep, uh, they, they uh, speak against things that are spiritual and, and that they don't know about. And they'll face God's judgment for that. And But even the things that they do understand, the, the things of the natural world, even those things are going to condemn them. That they've become like uh, those who, uh, like Cain who killed Abel, or Balaam who tried to prophesy against God's people, or Korah who led a rebellion against Moses' leadership, people who thought that they could get ahead by rebelling against God. And what happened to all of Those? They were judged and destroyed. They are empty messengers who've got nothing to say, like clouds without rain. And what they do have to say just shows up their shame, like sea waves making a great sea foam. which just goes off and smells. Now, Jew's message is clear. False teachers are bad news, have nothing to do with them. They slip in secretly. They follow sinful desires. They deny Jesus. They will be condemned. And therefore, we need to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to us. So, what danger are we at from false teachers? Well, the danger is always there. We always need to be on our guard. We always need to keep checking what we're being taught and what we're listening to. We're very fortunate in our church here that we have a strong history of teaching the Bible and of of, of basing out what we say on what God has told us. But never take that for granted. Because that's the first step to losing it. Keep checking that what you're hearing is the truth. But of course, you'll have friends and neighbours who go to different churches, places where they might not have the same importance on the Bible. Be careful what you listen to, what invitations you accept. Or you might move and need to find another church, and and you'll need to make sure then that where you go teaches the truth. Don't just go by the sign out the front, oh, it's an Anglican church, I went to an Anglican church, they teach good things, that will be okay. The Sydney Anglican Diocese is actually a bit of a rarity in the Anglican world move outside of Sydney, and you've got a much better chance of finding false teaching than you do of true teaching. Which is why things like GAFCON, that, uh, the Global Anglican Fellowship Convention, uh, I think, is that, that right, John? Uh, future, futures, uh, is so important because it gathers like-minded Anglicans from across the world who believe the Bible, but don't want to leave the Anglican Church to be able to come together and encourage each other and to call for the Anglican Church to come back to its roots of the Bible. We need to keep testing what we're being taught. We need to keep checking what is happening around us because there is false teaching out there. There are those who will say, That prosperity is what God has in store for you. One of the great heresies of our age is the prosperity gospel. That if you just give more to the church, then God will give more to you. That God wants to bless you. And so if you live as though you are successful, then God will make you successful. And many people have gone out and borrowed huge amounts of money and had their businesses go bankrupt because they've followed the false teaching of those who offer material wealth here and now on the basis of that. And of course, those who have become bankrupt materially are often left bankrupt spiritually as well because they do not know where their faith lies because they've been sold a lie, or well, the false teaching that's around us that says that it doesn't matter what your sexuality is, God just wants us to love one another. We should just welcome all people in. God doesn't want to condemn anyone for what they want to, you know, how they want to show their love. And of course there's great pressure on churches and even more now that in our country um, homosexual marriage has been accepted. The pressure will increase more and more both from our society and from other parts of even our own church to accept homosexuality as a normal part of acceptable Christian life. But that isn't what what the Bible tells us. Or the thing which is going to be increased more and more is the multi-faith movement, where we're told that all religions are equal, that we, can, we need to learn from those who are around about us. You know, the, the, the Muslims have something to say to us about who God is. And so do the Buddhists and the Hindus. There are already churches, Christian churches, that invite leaders of other religions to teach them. But that is false teaching, which rejects the truth of Jesus, that he is the only way of salvation, that he is Jesus Christ, our only sovereign Lord. There is false teaching around us, and we need to be on our guard for it. We need to be ready to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to us. Jude finishes his letter with some better in, some, with instruction on how uh, we can go about doing that and, and, and some confidence that we have that we can, that we are held not by our own strength, but ultimately by the strength of God. And that's what we're going to look at next week. And because I'm the one who's preaching next week, I'm definitely not going to steal my own thunder uh, and talk to you about that. Come on Sunday. But there is more to hear. But today, we need to see that false teaching is real and it is dangerous. We need to be aware of it and we need to keep away from it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you that you are indeed the only wise God, our savior. We thank you, Father, that you have shown us the way to salvation. We thank you that you have given us the truth of the gospel and that you have brought us into our relation into a relationship with you. Father, we pray that you would guide us as we uh, live our lives for you, that we would continue to look to your word, that we would continue to hear the truth of Jesus and that we would be aware of those who may teach us what is wrong. Father, help us to keep our Bibles open and our ears in tune with your spirit and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.